Let's connect. This is Network Radio. It's, it's really, you know, it's very exciting for me to be here. I'm very excited because I was thinking the other day that if this was Idols, I would have gotten a call back. I don't know if they've done this before. Um, four years ago, I was here, and I was talking to a different group. Maybe some of you were there. Do you remember, Kevin, four years ago, you had me on the stage, uh, I think at the, at the uh, President Hotel in uh, Bantry Bay. And we're here again today, four years later, uh, so I'm very excited. Um, today, I'm just going to talk about the best advice I ever got. It's not long. It's just, I just want to share two stories, and I'm only going to share a few insights and a few thoughts. Two stories and a few insights. That's really not long. It's just good enough for breakfast, I guess. But first, one of the stories that I want to share with you is the why. You know, what's this all about? Why, why I do the things, the crazy things that I do? And it, it, I'm not even going to take it back to when I was born. I'm just going to take it a few years back to 2007 when I decided to quit a job. I used to work for an asset management company here in Cape Town, actually. And um, I decided it was just not for me waking up and being at work at 7 a.m. You know, it, it just didn't feel right at the time. But the funny thing is that right now, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I start working immediately. Strange. So what happened in 2007 is that we lost a lot of money. We lost staggering sums of money, like a lot of startups. You know, we started a business, few friends, everybody had the right qualifications from the right university. But what we forgot was that we knew nothing about starting businesses. So at the end of 2007, we lost all the money we had, and we lost all the money we hadn't already raised from our, you know, investors. And that really got me thinking. I look around the table, and my team was, everybody was, had this sense of guilt. You know what I mean? The kind of guilt that you see when you were at school. If you remember when you were at school and you get the answer wrong and the teacher looks at you like, what is wrong with you? You're supposed to get this right and you're going to be punished for being wrong. We felt that we were wrong. And I remember thinking, all the people that I admire around the world, they got it wrong so many times before they got it right. They failed so many times before they finally succeeded, you know, the success thing. And I said then, why is it that at school they beat us up when we are wrong? as if we're supposed to get it right the first time, because life doesn't work like that. So I, I remember sitting down and I said, if we're going to try this business thing again, what if we get it wrong again, and how are we going to pull ourselves out of this? And I figured that maybe the wrong is actually not so wrong. The wrong and right actually do go together. But then I said, what would be the third option for me if I'm going to live with being wrong and be okay with it? I figured that, my, let me focus on being happy. So for, happiness became my goal. I said, okay. You know what? I'm just going to do things that make me happy. And if I'm wrong, I'll still be happy with myself. So then the question was, what is happiness? Then I had to define this happiness thing for me. And it was not very hard to define happiness because I looked at my life and I said, how did it feel like when I was happy? So I started studying my own life and I said, what did happiness feel like at the times when I deemed myself happy? So I looked at how I felt. That was the first thing. The second thing was, what are the things, what are the objects that when I have in my life, they kind of induce this feeling of happiness? They trigger the, 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 the happy button in my life. So I looked for those things and people. And I said, there are people that I'd rather spend most of my time with because they trigger the happy button. And there are those people that if I have lunch with them, after lunch, I want whiskey, just like Kevin mentioned here, the whole afternoon because I would have spent my time with people that didn't trigger the happy button. They triggered the worry button for me. And the third thing was, what are the experiences in life? I think this thing is, or is it just me? 
Um, what are the experiences that when I experience, they also trigger the happy? Or what are the activities that when I do, I feel happy? So that helped me. I defined these three columns. The feeling, how happiness feels like, the objects that induce happiness, and the activities that induce, induce happiness. I said, okay, I think I got this. I need to focus on these things. And if I do these things every day, then I'll be happy probably most of my life. And I narrowed my life to just the things that make me happy. But then I said, how do I know how I'm going to do some of the things that I haven't yet done that would make me happy. So I looked around the world and I said, there are people who are already doing these things. Who are they? And I had to find them and I had to study those people in just those narrow areas where they've excelled, where I'd like to be happy. One of those areas was getting business right. How do I get a business to work? So I had to go study people that may, are making businesses to work, which is what led to my first book, which Kevin mentioned here, Conversations with JSC Artists Entrepreneurs, where I went and I interviewed 12 millionaire entrepreneurs who started businesses from scratch to a point where they listed them on the stock exchange. How did they do it? Oh, okay, I figured how they did it. I said, maybe I should just do what they did. Maybe I might just get the same results. And that's what I've been doing. So that was the first thing about business. And then I looked at various areas of my life and I said, where are the models of possibility that I can study that if I follow what they, follow their method or their model, I'm likely to get similar results. And that's what I do, literally. Because my life didn't come with a manual, so I had to look at people and study them and actually install the software that I would, I would learn from their own models. And that's what I've done. But then again, I said, but what am I going to do every day? When I'm not studying these people, how am I going to, you know, when someone says, what do you do? What is that thing that I will be doing? So I figured I need to have a business that would be in line with my happiness plan. So I created a business that would support my happiness. The happiness plan was the center. Everything else was to support that structure, was to support the plan. And then I said, what would this business look like? I figured the first thing, it needs to be valuable work. It needs to be work that somebody will feel that it's, worth, it's work worth paying for. So that I, I do something for a reason, that, and it's going to impact somebody. So that was the first thing, do great work. Do work that is valuable to somebody. The second thing was, who am I going to work with? So I, I had to choose the right people, the people that are going to make I'm going to induce the happiness in the team so that we can all be happy doing happy work, doing cool work, that's going to impact people. And two of my team members are here actually, Steph's right here, Claire's over there. Those, these guys are the people I work with in Cape Town, there are people who are not here. Obviously in Joburg we've got other people in other parts of the world. But then beyond the team, what was the next thing? Clients. How many people are stressed by clients here? I mean, you know, there are those clients that just stress you. When you have to go meet with them, you're like, oh no, do I have to go see them? I said, I don't want those. So I had to choose clients that would fit within my happiness plan. I had to choose my clients very carefully and, and gracefully fire clients that do not support our plan. Because life is too short. I mean, the world has got seven billion people, hello. Who wants to work with people that are not cool? So that was important to me. And then the other thing that was really important, it had to be scalable work. It had to be work that we could scale globally. Otherwise, I can't do all of this stuff myself. I need to bring people that believe what I believe, that support what I, what I believe in, that want to do that and be happy with their lives as well. So it needed to be work that we could scale globally and we could sell around the world. And that, to me, was very important. But you know, this thing about happiness, I remember at the time it was, yeah, you know, I couldn't even explain, I couldn't even talk about it like this, because people would think I'm insane. Who talks about being happy? Until 2009, when I, when I read something from John Lennon. I don't know if you guys can read that. But John Lennon says when he was five years old, his mother said to him, happiness was key to life. And then he went to school 
And then at school they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then he wrote, happy, full stop. And the teacher said, oh, child, you didn't understand the assignment. And then he said, oh, teacher, you don't understand life. John Lennon's mother, actually, I think she got it right. She said happiness is key to life. When I saw this, for me it said, I'm probably on the right track. I'm probably on the right track going the happiness route. But I started looking further beyond me, looking at the human race, because really what I do is study people, study humans. I mean, if I'm going to live about 70, 80, if I'm lucky, 95 years like Madiba, then I might as well just figure this thing and get it right while I'm still in the game. So I looked at other people, because a lot of people always say, especially young entrepreneurs, and say, oh man, if I'm rich, if I make another million, if I get another Ferrari, I'll be happy. And then they get the Ferrari and they realize that happiness is, in the, is, in two, is with two Ferraris. And then they get two and then they realize, oh no, 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 you have to have a Maserati so that you can be really happy. And then if I have half of Bill Gates' wealth, I'll probably be very happy. So I looked at these guys, the Bill Gates of this world, the Warren Buffetts, and I said, but they still get up in the morning to do stuff, and they've got all the money. Why? And then it dawned on me that the human race, all of us, we want the same thing. We want an experience of our lives that continues to be bigger. Or let me put it simply and say, we want a future that is always bigger than the past, regardless of how great the past was. We hear, we wake up every morning saying, yesterday was great, but what about today? Because I'm still in the game. So I said, gee, so there's no happy station. Happiness is actually the journey, and you're gonna have a lot of stations along the way. And everybody wants a future that is bigger than the past. And ours, whatever business you're in, you are in the business of helping people achieve a happier destination from where they are. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. If you're a plumber, there's somebody who's pulling their hair this morning because the keys are burst. And you come in there, you give them a better experience of the day because you just solved a big problem that was giving them headaches. All of us, regardless of what we do. And then, in 2009, because I'm always running around bothering people and asking them tough questions about life and how they do things, and I did this to a guy called Mark Lambetti, who's the founder of Masmod here in South Africa, and I, I spent an hour with Mark, and I asked him a lot of deep questions, but there were two questions that I also asked him, which I always ask, and I sneak these questions in between other seemingly deep and cool questions. I said to him, hey man, how do you define success? What is success to you? He said to me, Sia, two things, man. First, whatever you're gonna do in life, make sure that you set standards for yourself. Because if you don't have standards, everybody will give you whatever they think you deserve, and it may just be below the standards you want for your life. And if you don't have standards, you may actually perform below what you're capable of, of performing because you don't have standards even for, for your own, for yourself, even your team. So you need to have standards and minimum standards that you're not gonna accept. That's the first thing. And he said, secondly, I measure success daily. I said, wow, that sounds cool because you, you're a very rich guy and you're probably like a billionaire or something. So does that mean like, you count money? He said, no, 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 no. He said, I've got these standards and I always, and I set goals for each day and I review those goals at the end of each day for that day. That way it's easy to keep the score because if I've got goals for today and at the end of the day I've achieved the goals, hey, I'm happy, I had a great day. And then the next day I do the same. If I've got seven of those in a row, what a great, happy, successful week. 
and then it gets easier from there because I just need 52 of those weeks, and that's it. It's like, wow, this guy is cool. He's really smart. And then I, came, I was staying in Cape Town at the time. I came, I flew back from Joburg, and I was pondering this question. I said, how do I measure my success? Because I couldn't exactly just take what he does and apply it in my life. It may not work. What's important to him may not be important to me. I figured there were four things that are important to me. The first one is that I love learning, which is why I chose the journey I chose. I love to learn. So every day, I had to, to measure whether I learned something. There were four things, actually. I'm just going to tell you quickly. The first one was learning. Every day, I always ask myself, to this day, I say, did I learn today? What did I learn? I, I, I look at my whole day. Did I meet a car guard today who shared something that was insightful to me when I was going to my car? He may have just said something that could just shift the perspective for me. What did I learn today? The second thing was, did I do work that I love? You know when you're working in the office and you get lost in the work and you're wondering, what time is it? Oh, it's 4, th oh, it's four o'clock already. I thought it was 12 because I'm loving what I do. You are in a state of flow. I look for those moments every day in my work. That's why I choose to do the work I love with the team that I really like and with, for the clients that are really cool. So did I love? That's the second. The third thing is, did I serve? I'm an entrepreneur. I get paid for service. I, people pay me because I serve them. So the third thing I look for is service. Today, did we serve? Did we exceed expectations? Did we do beyond what people were expecting from us as a team? And did I over-deliver for my part? And the fourth thing, like any great game, you've got to keep the score, right? Otherwise, what's the point of playing all day if the score in the scoreboard is nil-nil? No results. So I said, how do we keep the score? We've got to get paid. Money is, is actually a nice and a really cool way to keep the score. Because you check, what was our bank account last week? Oh, okay. Do we get paid this week? Oh, it's going up. We're winning this game. It's a great game to play. So the fourth thing is, did I earn? Did I learn? Did I love? Did I serve? Did I earn? And these are the four things. The first one, as, I, as I've just told you, is the one about learning. The second one is the one about loving the work. I don't know you guys, if you guys can re relate to, to that feeling of, of being in, excited about what you do. You're like, please don't disturb me. You could do this even if people were not paying you for it because it feels like sport. And I always look for such projects in the work that I do. And every day I always want to make sure I sneak in that kind of work. The funny thing about, about work, and again, I like to link things to school because what I was taught and, what, and the reality of life. When I was at school, or it's still the case with a lot of kids, if, for instance, your kid is good, is good in art at school and he's really terrible in maths, what do parents do? They would send the kid to an extra maths class. Would you agree? A kid who's not good in maths, but they're good in art, they're definitely going to get a couple of those extra math classes. I remember thinking, but this doesn't make sense. The kid already, the, the heart always knows what, what's, what's your game. Your heart knows what your game is. And I, I choose to spend most of my time doing the things that I'm, I'm, I'm so advantaged that I'm probably going to be one of the best guys on earth to do that thing. And if that was art for a kid, don't you think you should send the kid to an extra art class? just so that they could be the best art kid on earth, rather than sending them to an extra math class where they'll be, at best, the average kid. I mean, that's, uh, to me, it didn't make sense. I mean, I don't like working with financials in my company. And I was not going to go to varsity to study BCom and do all these things. One, I was not going to enjoy it. Two, I was probably not going to be the greatest accountant on earth, because it's just not my game. 
So for me, love for the work is, is a very important thing. Even when I choose projects, I say, is this going to be fun? Are we like going to really enjoy this? If, if the answer is yes, 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 let's do it. We jump in with the team and we run with it. So for me, love for the work, I believe it's, it induces happiness. Service. I mean, I don't know, guys. I get these really cool, I got some really cool clients because they send me emails, they call me, they Skype me, telling me cool things about the experience they had with something we did. And I live for those moments. Maybe I'm shallow. You know, but I love receiving emails from happy clients saying, see ya, man, this was so cool, man. You did, I love those. And when we serve people, we serve as if like someone is watching us, as if this thing's gonna be on TV. We, 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 we just love to do it as if we're doing it for the stage because we know that it makes us happy and two, it makes our clients happy. And guess what? When they are happy, they call us so they share the happiness. We're so selfish about this happiness thing because we want them to share it with us by telling us how happy they are because we did something that makes them happy. And of course, the money part, and I'm gonna go straight. There's a guy called Charlie Manga. He's the co-chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. I'm sure a lot of you know Warren Buffett. This is his you know, right-hand man. This is the guy who sits behind the scenes. Really, really smart guy. I, I, when I look at Charlie, I always think, this guy is actually the modern-day Brand Franklin. Really smart oak. Here's what some of the things he said about some of the things that I believe, about learning. He said, in my whole life, I have known no wise people who didn't read all the time. None, zero. You'd be amazed at how much Warren reads and how much I read. My children laugh at me. They think I'm a book with a couple of legs sticking out. I mean, until I saw this from Charlie, I used to feel like that, because my mentor and a good friend of mine, Bill Gibson, to whom I dedicated this book, I dedicated this book to Bill Gibson, who's been my mentor since 2006. He always laughs at me. He even bought me a, a little poster that says, um, people who love reading, they never go to bed alone. Because he says, I all, and I do, I keep books next to me in bed, literally. Now with my iPad, it sits right next to me, because first thing I do in the morning, I have to read something. And I read over 100 books a year because I'm also a photo reader, which means I fly from Joburg to Cape Town, I can finish a 200-page book because that's how much I consume content and I love reading. When I saw this from Charlie, I said, oh, I'm not the craziest person on earth just because I love consuming content. And another thing that Charlie said, and this, is, this part relates to the first thing I said about learning. Did I learn? Because there's so much wisdom in reading. The second thing that Charlie said which relates to the service, which is something I just touched on, he said, spend each day trying to be a little wiser than you were when you woke up. Discharge your duties faithfully and well. We love that line. When we discharge our duties, we believe in doing it like that because it really does make us happy and it makes our clients, I'm not gonna read the whole quote, but I'll give you a second to read it for yourself. But these, to me, every, every I'm always looking in life for things that seem to support the things I believe. But right now, because we're winning this game, because our business is growing, I'm starting to think that we are onto something. And because our clients are happy, because our clients, they actually want to be our fans. I mean, I've got people that email me randomly and say, Sia, are you releasing any new thing in the next month? Because my credit card is ready. How cool is that? We love those kinds of people because we live to serve those kinds of clients where we don't have to work hard. But what are some of the things that I've learned about life that I now know for sure, that I now know for a fact? You know, I heard Oprah saying, what do you now know for sure? And I think these are some of the things I know for sure and I'm gonna share them with you. The first one is that if you don't have a vision, you will work and work and work and really work hard 
but you will never make progress because you can't measure progress without measuring against a certain target in life. So a vision, the way I see it, a vision is the mother of all progress. Because what are you working towards? Because people are busy, you know, and, and I worry when I, when I go to business schools and I look at what they teach entrepreneurs, you know, teaching them to be busy, as if business is about being busy or it's, it's busyness. People are running around, working, breaking their bags. Oh man, I'm running a business. What are you doing? Why? Why are you doing this? I find that a vision will always, the way I, in, in simple words, I always say to people, your vision is actually a coach to your present actions. Because when you know what your vision is, you always say, is what I'm doing right this moment aligned with, why, with the reason why I'm doing it? Is what I'm doing now going to take me to where I want to go? So your future vision is actually your coach. If you need a life coach, have a vision. If you don't have a life coach yet, have a vision. Because your vision is going to coach every action you take today. It's either you're going towards your vision or you're not, or you're spinning. So have a vision because it will coach your actions every day and you'll make progress. I've figured this. Here's another thing. When I was at varsity, I mean, I was not one of those really cool and good students. Maybe I was cool, but I was not a bright guy at varsity. And I remember during, you know, study week, they give you this whole week where you have to study for your exams that are coming up you know, a couple of weeks later. When I was, and I was here at UCT, and I was staying in RAS, and I remember that during the study week, I would go to the TV room which is something I don't usually do, and I would sit there for hours because everything on TV is interesting when the books are waiting. Even adverts, like, wow, that's a cool ad. I mean, let's see the next one. I was like that because I felt that I lacked self-discipline. How many of you guys have ever felt like, oh, I need to be more self-disciplined in life? Anybody? Is it just me? A lot of us, right? Self-discipline. We always beat ourselves up because we feel that we need to be more disciplined. And then it dawned on me this one day that all of us, have self-discipline. I was like, whew, thank you. Because, and I want to share that message with you guys today. Because every single one in the room is very, very, very self-disciplined. Here's, here's the proof. There are things that you do in your life every day, religiously, without being motivated by anybody. Because those things are your habits. In the area where you already have a habit, you are already disciplined. Would you agree? People wake up in the morning, you go to the bathroom, you brush your teeth, without a motivational speaker coming to motivate you. Because it's a habit, and you're already disciplined in that area. In South Africa, a lot of South Africans, there's a TV show on SABC called Generations. And millions of South Africans watch this program, and I think it's not a very great program, but people love it. At 7.30, I haven't heard in my life a family that called a motivational speaker at 7.30 at night to come motivate the family so that they could get ready for the show. It's a habit. They do it without any motivation. And then I tried, and I always say to people, if you're going to go to gym, I mean, I used to, at the beginning of the year, like a lot of people, try to go to gym, buy new apparel, you know, get, sign up for the membership and get that free bag. And man, I go to gym. And then a week later, it's like, ooh, man, I don't feel like it's raining outside. And I figured that actually the hardest thing about, the gym, about gym is not gym. It's going to gym. So I said, how can I trick myself to go? Not to train, just to go, because that's the hard part. So here's an advice, if you want to try this. Next time you want to sign up for membership, or if you know, you, you've kind of started going dipping in your commitment, because it's now March, it's no longer January, here's what you do. 
on Monday, since today is Thursday, I can give you the weekend. On Monday, get in your car and go to gym. Get in there and look around and say, hmm, this place is cool. I think I'm going to enjoy training here and walk out, go home. Call your friend and say, I just came back from gym. And do that for a week. Don't train. Do not train. Just go, look around the place and drink some water and say, yeah, oh, it's cool, and walk out five minutes. What, what are you doing? You're building a habit of going. And then after a few weeks, after like two weeks, your car will find its way to gym. becomes just easy when it's a habit. So in, when, whatever new habit you want to inculcate in your life today, take it easy. Do the easy part first. Get used to, to getting connected with that habit. Don't beat yourself up because you already are disciplined. Your habits are actually nature's way of teaching yourself discipline. So create a habit first. And the easiest way to create a habit is to do the easy part. Then you feel like, hmm, I want to do this thing. You know, it starts getting cool. It starts feeling like it's fun. Then your discipline is building. This thing of going there, like a lot of guys go to gym and they want to lift these heavy weights, and then the next day they can't wake up, the back is sore. They think it's the gym. They overdid it. So walk in and walk out. Do that for three weeks. The fourth, the third thing that I learned, and this thing changed the game for me, you know? And I think parents, I wish parents could teach their kids this. I find that when I, when I, was, I was studying opportunities that I've had in life, and I realized that every single opportunity, there was a human being attached to the opportunity. Every single one of them. Even the things I'd like to claim credit for and say this was self-made, you know, the whole self-made millionaire thing. Oh, I'm a self-made man. No. Every opportunity you've had in life is linked to somebody. It's just like you've forgotten about them. You probably stopped being grateful for it. But always remember where your opportunities came from. And they come from relationships. You know, at school, they let the kids bully other, they don't let them really, but they don't, they don't really come down hard on kids that bully other kids. And teach them that in life, you're actually gonna need people. You know, the nerds, the Bill Gates, those guys were bullied as kids. Now the bullies are working for these guys. I think Steve Jobs said this, that be nice to the nerds because they may just employ you one day. So we need to teach kids the importance of relationships because every opportunity you'll ever had in your life will come attached to a human being. One of the guys in the book, he said, you know, as much as we like to employ and have people doing things in our companies, the problem is that all that we're looking for in the companies are hands. But the problem is that these hands, there's a whole person attached to the hand and it's always problems. And I say, relationships are the key to opportunity, opportunities. So when you go to a networking function, instead of making it about you today, actually, don't make it about you. Listen to what the other person says. Actually, make it a mission to ask questions about them. So what's your name? Where, where are you from? Uh, what do you do? What do you do? Avoid that question. People hate that because most people are not happy at work. So don't remind them. The question to ask now is, what's the best advice you ever got? I had a great chat with Kevin about, Kevin's in the book, by the way, and he told me the best advice ever got was from his grandfather, who said, never say die, get up and try, every day. Isn't that cool? What if you could ask somebody, so what's the best advice you ever got? 
and I do this in the plane, people talk the whole flight. And then they say, when I leave, see, are you the most interesting guy I've ever met? I'm thinking, but you don't know anything about me. All you know is my name, because you didn't ask me anything. But I don't say that, but I'm happy because I was focusing on them. Guess next time when you call them, they want to talk to you because you are that interesting person who was interested in them. Be interested first to others. Don't make it about you. That's how you build relationships. All the CEOs that take my calls these days is because I listen to them. I don't say anything about me. So I say, listen and be interested. The last thing I want to talk about is this thing of being a hero. You know, a hero has been vilified for many years. It's like, oh, you're trying to be a hero? You know, heroes die or whatever they say. I want to say to you today, be a hero to somebody. Because we live in a world where somebody is looking for a hero in some area of their life. If you're in business, it's pointless being in business if you're not going to be a hero to somebody. It's pointless. Because you're going to be serving someone in an area where they don't have the expertise, they don't have the time, they don't have the ability, they don't have the energy, and they're looking for the best guy for the job. They're talking about a hero. I mean, think about the, when you say a hero, who do you think about? Nelson Mandela, you think about a lot of great people who were, not, who were just selfless because they understood the game. They understood that it was about you, not about themselves. In business today, it's the same. It's not about you, it's about your clients. It's not about me, it's about this group. But what are the two things that heroes have? There are two things, among many other qualities that heroes have, there are two. The first one is that a hero has empathy. How can you be a hero if you know nothing about the person you're supposedly serving? Be empathic about the other person. Try to understand, walk a mile in their shoes. Ask them questions about them before you sell your product. Hey man, I've got this thing I wanna sell you. No, ask them questions about them. Who, what is the bigger future? How do they define their bigger future? If you're having this conversation with them two or three years, five years from today, what would have had to happen in their lives to make them extremely happy at that point in time? Because that's why you come in, you come inside that journey. But if you don't know anything about someone, the first thing you want to do is to sell stuff, wrong move. Because you need to lead with empathy. Every great hero puts themselves in other people's shoes first before they try to serve them. That's one. The second thing, and the last thing about being a hero, is that every hero understands that they have a fiduciary responsibility. What do I mean by this fight? A lot of guys in finance know fiduciary. When I give you my money, it means that your interests are secondary to mine when it comes to that money. If I give you my money to invest it, you can't just invest it in the things you want without caring about the returns that need to accrue to me because it's my money. It's the same, as, it's same in business. If somebody trusts you to do a great job and they're paying you for it, then they come first. They come before your interests. A lot of South African entrepreneurs, especially these startups, they focus so much on the fact that they don't have money. Oh man, I need money. Oh, I need money. They make it about them. It's not about you. It's about your clients. So a fiduciary responsibility is about protecting the other person. It's about being the trusted advisor in whatever you do. Even sports stars do this. The likes of Ronaldo, the Wayne Rooney's of this world, you may think that it's about them. It's not. They break their leg when they play football for the fans. Because without those fans, there'll be no, sport, no, no, no football. That business would collapse. So your business is about them. So you need to assume a fiduciary responsibility when it comes to clients. Be a hero. Every hero puts other people first. 
So in life and in business, I, these are the things that I've found that when I, make, when I become a hero and I stop making it about me, I tend to win. So heroes win all the time. And heroes are not jerks. They're not the people that beat themselves in the, in the chest and say, I'm the hero. No, those are bullies. Heroes are protectors. Heroes care. Heroes are people that are trusted with important things that belong to other people. They lead with fiduciary responsibility. I want you to think about these things when you serve your client. Look at them. Look at them as if you cared about them. What if your client was your grandmother? What if they were your sister or brother? Wouldn't you care? Would you sell them what you're trying to sell them? If the answer is yes, break a leg selling that stuff. And if you want to get in touch, if you want to have a good chat, you can Skype me, Twitter me, Facebook. I want to thank you very much. Network Radio. Let's connect with music and talk entrepreneurship and business.